0: Hey everyone! Welcome to the Nazi episode of Vlogcast. Uh, we're coming to you tonight after a very long week uh, in the United States. Not in any particular part of the United States. Not in the world of politics or in the world of you know economics or any particular discipline. Just a, a, an exhaustive long week for the whole world. Um, All eyes currently on on the United States and what is rapidly becoming a familiar situation, Nazis wielding tiki torches have uh, which is that's their customary weapon, um, as we all know, uh, have descended upon the city of Charlottesville and they are defending a Confederate monument. During that time, one of the more uh, ambitious Nazis, one of the ones trying to climb the Nazi ranks, presumably this is how you get promotions within you know a Nazi organization, drove a truck through a uh, crowd of protesters, killing one and injuring many. Incredibly dark times right now for the country. And, and, and our leadership, uh, dear leader Donald Trump, uh, is morally bankrupt. He has declined in two separate pressers to to denounce the um, the white nationalists and the, the Nazis and, and to whatever you want to call them, he has the white supremacist. He has declined to come out uh, and, and take a moral stand against that kind of behavior. Instead, deferring to say that there is great violence and hatred on both sides, and and I'm I'm air quoting both sides because what the fuck that even means, I don't think anyone really knows. So. Uh, joining me tonight to dive into what is probably one of the darkest periods of recent memory, Max Stahl, uh, Will Kasky, and Anu Pandey are back tonight for the Nazi episode. Guys, how are we feeling?
1: Fucking terrible. Anyone else? Yeah, not or the it's best. Just me.
0: Not the best week. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'll say that
1: um i'm i'm genuinely afraid actually cuz there's a rally planned in austin next not next week the week after i i do know that white supremacists are descending upon austin it's a march on google so we have an office here. Thankfully, I don't work there anymore. But um, they're coming. They're coming to my city, and I'm terrified.
2: Yeah, don't pick a fight with Google. Like, what are you doing?
1: Yeah, I don't understand what that is. But but just generally speaking, like, so are all are any of you shocked by the level of shock? Does that does that even make sense? That question because no, I, I really... actually I'm not even shocked. I am I feel numb. I I'm actually shocked that everyone else is so shocked.
3: No, I think I think like, I think you're you're absolutely right. I feel like this is a reprise of that SNL episode where uh, where uh, Dave Chappelle is in there and all the white people are, are like tearing their hair out, going, "Oh my God, how could this happen?" And he and Chris Rock are just like laughing, I'm like I, I I where to begin here? <laughs> so. Yes.
1: It is exactly like that.
3: And I say this as one of those white people. I I mean, I I was definitely dazed. I I couldn't even do this cast two days ago because it was just too fresh. And I was just I I couldn't even say anything.
2: uh, I think like another another sorry to interrupt. I think another part of that is is, you know, the sustained grieving process the country's having over Donald Trump becoming president. Like, (laughs) I think, you know, people keep deluding themselves that he's not who he says he is, because there's so much um, kind of cultural capital tied up in the office of the presidency that, you know, you have the press that can't even really contemplate what's going on. And they keep, you know, reverting, finding like adults in the room, hiding in the corner and, you know, people that are going to, you know, control Trump and he's pivoting to he's becoming president. Um, And I think, you know, this is like, you know, uh, episode 87 of people realizing that, you know, Trump is going to be Trump. So I think that's sort of where the I, I don't have the lack of shock. I think, you know, it is it. You have a president who's drawing a moral equivalency between Nazis and protesters. So that's uh, you know shocking within itself, but it's not shocking within who Trump is, and it's not really that shocking in the grand scheme of American history.
0: Either. Well, I think this really this is this is a wake up, right? This week has been a wake up for a lot of people who maybe were living in a bubble um, or who were in a, a comfortable space, kind of deluding themselves uh, on a number of fronts, not just about Donald Trump either. I mean, I think one of the things that kind of to the to the point about the shock, one of the things that I think kind of blew people away was. That there was this rally planned by uh, white nationalists, white supremacists, Nazis, uh, uh, and, and everyone in between, all the deplorables that can fall in between the different terms and labels we can put on them. And I think a lot of people think that there's this fringe out there, right? The alt-right. It's this fringe group. There's a couple of them spread out across the country, and they're kind of extreme. But, you know, eh, your average white person is not part of the alt-right. Turns out, if you look at the fucking video, there's a lot of fucking white people who are part of that fringe group. And that's what Trump tried to play on when he went to his presser was to say, oh, well, you know, if you look at the crowd, yeah, there was some Nazis. Sure, there was a, a number several dozen, several hundred swastika flags out there, but they're not all Nazis. Some of those people are just there for the heritage, just there to defend the monument. And I think this really, this week's been kind of a wake up call to the fact that, you know what, this is not nearly the minority or the fringe that a lot of people thought. There's a lot of people out there who are trending dangerously close to Nazis, or at the very least, pretty okay with marching alongside a guy holding a swastika flag.
1: So, the thing is, he's not wrong about that. And I can't believe I'm saying this. Like, there's a lot of conflation going on um, between neo Nazis, white supremacists, and the KKK. I, white supremacism as an ideology is much wider than and more all encompassing than the KKK or just neo Nazis. And I think that he's not wrong about the fact that there were. There was a broader swath of white society there than just members of the KKK or neo-nazis It, it was actually it, it and, and the shock I think comes from I was talking to my spouse about this he was trying to like you know his dad, who is a boomer white man um saw like saw this as like a 9 eleven type event and I was like thinking to myself like how is that possible? I mean part of it is that bubble, right but like It's also that, like, people conflate these things as though, like, these things are not one thing, on top of which, white supremacy as an ideology is baked into our society and all of our institutions, and this is not something that your average white person wants to admit or open their eyes to or what have you. And and I think that that might be, I mean, I don't know, because I'm not white, but, like, that that might be where the shock is coming from. It's also that, like, these people are everywhere. They're in our offices. They are in our in our places of worship, if you're so inclined. Like, we know these people. These people are not the fringe. They're also educated. Let's not forget that. There are a lot of people in this movement, of the broader white supremacist movement, who are very well educated. And I think that's well, part of the issue.
0: And, and you're right, Anu. It's not... Uh... It's not fair to say that they're all Nazis. Um, As many have pointed out, that's not accurate. There is a diverse grouping of different um, ideologies within that crowd who, for one reason or another, their personal belief platform can bring them to to defend uh, Confederate monument. However, at the same time, there's a double-edged sword there because Trump used that, and and the all right themselves and the people who are in that crowd will use that argument to
3: defend their position. They'll turn around and say—
1: I'm co-opting it to, to be clear. You're absolutely well, right.
3: I think the overall the overall thing that's going on here, I mean they literally called the the whole protest Unite the Right. They they were joining together. And that's the thing. It's joint and several liability. Uh if you want to throw in with someone and call it Unite the Right, then you're you're signing on to the Nazis whether or not right. you are yourself one. And it that's wasn't just all the KKK work. rally. So, but I I also think like so I think the bit the most important thing I think personally what rattles everyone the most is that that Kenneth lookalike his name is actually Peter but the the Peter. angry kid yeah
1: who's, yeah who's
3: who's just there and he's just shouting and shouting and he then he claims he's not an angry racist well of course you're an angry racist but. He's just there and he looks just completely normal, and he is there very obviously just racisting it up. He's and... a
1: student at the University of Nevada at Reno. This is like a dude that you could go to college with.
3: Right. And we don't have any, I don't have any conception of this. For the past like 40, 50 years, protests have been a province of the left and disordered protests have been a province of the left. And despite the fact that we've had a huge amount of white supremacist attack, we just don't think that that we think that these, these images of the, these like buttoned up, you know, collared white people screaming at black people are a thing of like the, the past that's black and white photo time. It's just not here. We just can't believe it when it's back in our faces. And, And I think that was the biggest thing that was, uh, that, yeah. that was hitting us. I think hitting that's true. People.
2: And also, just to quickly add on to that, I think also the explicit Nazism. You know, is a small percentage of the group. But there were Nazis, they were chanting blood and soil, which, you know, was a famous Nazi slogan, um, talking about, you know, talking about Jews controlling the media, you know, Jews will not replace us. And so I think, you know, that that was kind of mainstreamed in a sense. And then you had Trump get up there and do that press conference with two Jews behind him, you know, looking exceedingly uncomfortable, with you know, his chief of staff looking very uncomfortable there and just kind (laughs) of, you know, drawing a moral equivalency and saying, you know, I think no matter what, all, all, I think we can all agree all the people there that rally, you know, there weren't any quote unquote good people, you know, marching on that. Side.
0: Well, so let's let's go ahead. I want to walk through this because obviously there's been a, a massive um, every hour is a new headline. Every every day is a new breaking story or or a dozen breaking stories. And so let's let's take a quick um, perusal of the events of the week real quick. This whole thing kicks off with arguably, you know, the stated reason for the, this uh, this clash in the first place was the removal of a Confederate monument. So I feel like we're all going to be mostly in agreement here, but is there any legitimate background to the idea that someone should be protesting or someone should be defending one of these Confederate monuments?
1: Um, I mean, no.
3: <laughs> I, I can't like... speak for all possibilities, but none come to mind. <laughs>
1: That was, I mean, it feels like a very obvious, like, and a lot of these went up, you know, during the 20th century, during Jim Crow, like, explicitly to scare black people in the South, so... I mean, they are there. They're not. Re- they're not like tributes to the. Pa- I mean, they are tributes to the past for certain people. Yes, to they certain people would love to remember Jim Crow as better time. But like, they're making the argument that statues should remain there just because they were put up like a number of years ago, and it- it's. It's like they can go in museums, but they can, they shouldn't be they shouldn't be honored in public places. These are t- fucking traitors. Yeah, and I think that's
2: the difference, about. right? I mean, you, you know, you can make like Trump tried to make the argument, you know, George Washington owned slaves. You know, of course, like you look at a lot of the statues, and there's a lot of atrocities in America's history, but um, you know, none of those folks waged open rebellion on the government, right? I mean, this these are people that tried to break up our union.
3: Well, well it is fascinating. I mean, you see a lot of white people like me, and now it's like. Okay, everyone's like—I mean, y- even a lot of liberals—you don't see universal agreement that there should we, we should burn all the statues. I mean, that's just like me, you know, like super liberal. Or everyone here, then it's like, okay, well, well, obviously George Washington's different, but I went on this long rant the other night. It's that's like, true. no, that's he's not. Saying, no, like, he's not. Know, I agree. He's not different in the sense of he committed atrocities and was a part of the
2: same system. Uh, he's different in the sense he never waged open rebellion I mean, on the United he
3: States. Up like, that's the only difference. I mean, he, if you set up the system of slavery, that is... I mean, in many ways, it's yep. worse.
1: Than I mean, than the consti- the, it the Constitution was built upon protecting slavery. Like, our Constitution has been hamstrung by the... Like, it was built this way. I feel like our, our system of government was hamstrung by the institution of slavery from the get-go. Um, I mean, I don't feel well, that course. way. That's yeah. true.
3: Absolutely. No, yeah, it's absolutely true.
0: Well, and I think that one thing that's important to to... Kind of set distinction here, right? Is the timelines that these that these events play out in. So a lot of the monuments that we have in DC um, and around the country that honor our founding fathers and and historic figures that predate some of the uh, some of the Civil War statues are are things that were created as not necessarily monuments, but they're they're intrinsic to the actual events of history. So the founding of the United States, for example, is. By by most accounts, not going to be taken as a dark spot on the nation's history. At this point, granted, we've now elected Donald Trump president, so maybe this whole thing was a giant fucking mistake. But for the most part, I think most people are going to say, hey, the founding of the country was probably eh a pretty good thing for us whereas the civil war is universally not universally but but by many people kind of viewed to be a little bit of a of a of a you know a mistake maybe a little bit of a messy situation and so the question comes why why are we putting up monuments to honor Figures that basically reflect on a dark mistake that our nation made, and again, these are not monuments that have been up for hundreds of years. Most of these went up in, as as was said, in the '60s as part of a, uh, a protest movement against civil rights. To so, scare yeah. black people. Uh, yeah. So this is really not. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting
2: if you look at these monuments. Um, really, they're like kind of empty gestures, empty symbolism, and that's really what the that, that was the system in the South really, uh, you know, you had really an oligarchical planter class the people that owned the slaves, ran the plantations that really had all the power. Um, And then you had, you didn't have much of a a middle class. You know, there was a small class of artisans, but mostly it was, you know, either you had slaves or you had, you know, poor tenement farmers. Um, And the thing that was done to keep the the poor white folks in line was to, you know, give them an identity and a sense of at least I'm better than the slaves so it was a trade-off that was made you know like you have this false sense of, of of identity that they give them um and you know in exchange you're not you know rebelling against the the owners and i think that that was a you know really dominated southern politics not only you know before the civil war but i would argue right to this day i mean that is an undercurrent in
3: southern politics and you know but american politics too so
1: they so know how to that, keep class solidarity alive
3: so there is there was some of that class thing i mean i say this as a you know master's degree historian and somebody who grew up in Louisiana, but if you look at the numbers, it's not really a one percenter thing. It's not. It wasn't like a super rich versus everyone else. I mean, the 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 average house white household ownership of slaves was between twenty and thirty percent. The highest was like Mississippi at thirty five percent, which is not. It was kind of an upper middle classing. I mean, people like me. Would have would have owned slaves just by you know making low six figures. That that is a thing that would have had we're basically talking about the upper quintile of society, which again does not mean that like everyone used it or that there was no class. There, but uh, class issues at work. There, but it was a lot more prolific than I think some the, the strictly class well, argument was comfortable with. So I think we often I mean, that's true. All I'm that. saying
2: is like as a function, you know, as a political function, um, like how this is how, how it's functioned rhetorically in a sense of being able to persuade the masses of people to win elections and to gain power. I mean that that's what I'm saying.
0: So I think that's that's a good point though. So to drive this question then forward. Uh, When we talk about protesting the removal of these Confederate monuments, we are talking about, as, as many of the protesters themselves would say, a matter of heritage. But that heritage... You know, if the question becomes then, what is the heritage that you are attempting to defend? The heritage here is a is a racial uh, and class identity built around uh, a southern system that, frankly, used uh, slavery as as a major cultural fixture to
3: prop up and to help frame that uh, that that identity. Well, look, not the both sides of this, but I want I want to stick this. I'm I'm going to stick this flag here right now because this is uh, this is something I've been yelling wait. about for the past three days. This is not just a thing about the South, and this is not just a thing about the heritage of the South, because the North w- was benefited almost as much from slavery as the South. They had cheap agriculture, they had cheap clothes, they had all of the cheap labor comp- concentrated in one place, so there was, so uh, wages were artificially inflated in the North. Two Max's issue is about class. You have, like, zero wages in the South, and you have much higher wages in the North. So this is part of the North's heritage as well. This is part of all, all the entire American heritage here. And I want to I want to continue on the on this idea of artificially constructed heritage. But back in the background, we're going to have this thing like we want to deny that this is all of us, but it, it really is all of us here.
1: It is, and that actually brings me to the "This is not us" hashtag. I think this is just just a quick tangent here. There is a a thing happening on Twitter and social media of like white people tweeting things about being the good ones, and and the hashtag "This is not us," and I'm sorry. Sorry, white people, but this is us. And, you know, I'm including myself in that because it's not as though I don't benefit from a system of white supremacy in some regard, right? So I, I, I just, this this notion that there are good players in this and bad players in this is, is truly false. And I think that, Ryan, going back to your um, question about constructed identity, I think this is part of that. I think that a lot of white people right now, this is not a Northern and Southern thing. This is a liberal and... Republic. this is perhaps a Democrat Republican thing. I'm not sure what it is it's a liberal white person versus conservative umbrella yeah. white.
3: the way I see this is playing out is like we have this constructive identity the Ryan's point and it's bad it's like these these protesters here in Charlottesville are basically I mean it's like white identity they they want an identity and a heritage that is terrible and you don't have to have and so this we're starting to get kind of a Maslow's pyramid here thing at the very bottom bottom we have to all agree to stop being terrible uh, and right now we can't even do uh, that that's something to
2: that that's got my point back um i think what we we have different what we have differently here is we have an administration and a whole political machine so a media machine behind him a president um who is pushing this narrative like we haven't seen in a long time i mean you have you've had racial politics always be a part of american politics um and of course it was a you know factored a lot into reagan's campaign you know and, and there's no you know Donald Trump's make America great again, of course, was originally a Reagan slogan. But I think you have like this explicit um, pushing of racial buttons um, in a way that we haven't seen so explicitly. Of course, it always happens in American politics. But
1: but like to your point, Max, though, like this campaign and this election and generally speaking. So what was it, a study of, of uh, white supremacists? Came, or I'm sorry, a study came out that measured white supremacist attitudes and not only was it found that, you know, the average person who holds the view that the white race is superior to all other races happens to be educated, it was also that, like, none of... Like, they weren't particularly economically anxious. Like, there was no... This is not an economic anxiety thing. They're not out there fucking yelling in the streets with tiki torches because they are, like, sad about their economic prospects. Like, this is specifically racial motivation. And I know, I, I know it's easy, like... I don't know what to call it, right? Like, but this and Will, I know why you're saying this. Like, it's ugly and it's terrible. But I feel like calling it ugly and terrible. It's just it feels too simple to me.
3: Oh, it's definitely too simple. It's just simplicity has, to, has its benefits and it has its downsides. No, it's it it's not. I mean, like you have the. Uh, no, you're just right. I'm going to say that.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. I have
3: no lecture. Sorry, you're just right. <laughs>
1: Well, th- I, that's a first. I'm I'm just gonna note that right now.
0: So, regarding the motivations, though, of the alt right, it absolutely, yeah, there was the. So they they basically this was a number of. Uh, psychologists who are putting together a uh, research paper and they went ahead and grabbed up something close to like 500 of these self-identified alt-right uh, uh, activists. And they asked them questions related to their views on different groups and demographics within the United States. And they also asked them about what drove them and what kind of you know inspired their motivations and what triggered them and things like that. And it it, it was, you know, the narrative that came out of the 2016 election uh, regarding Donald Trump was that it was this idea of. uh, economic anxiety, where that these people felt like they had been left behind, that they were no longer able to make a living, a livable wage and things like that, which is not necessarily to say that that's completely untrue. But most of these alt-right people, most of these, um, these really uh, fervent um, activists and these people who are pushing the alt-right uh, line, if you will, are the ones that are actually not all that much uh, behind from the economic perspective. They don't feel that level of anxiety. In fact, their biggest driver is a sense of lost state. Status um, and that again to, to get back to the identity idea it's this idea that you know uh, white people used to be in, in a held in a higher regard and had more frankly and this is going to kind of be a little bit. Uh, It's kind of ironic that this is the case because they're the ones who will quickly throw out phrases like snowflake to describe liberals. But in fact, in in this case, most of them are snowflakes who are just upset that being white isn't uh, nearly the meal ticket that it used to be in terms of societal position and class.
2: Yeah, and I think that's definitely the case. And you have, like I was saying before, you have a whole machine that's designed to exploit that. And sort of in America for a long time, there's sort of been a fascist movement building and it's it's kind of been building in different pe- you have different pieces of it in different places but i think you know with steve bannon and some of the the trump strategies you had some pretty explicit you know calls to hatred um you have attacking the press you know which is a um which is a common theme in fascism um you know generals all over the government is something you see so i mean it's a, thank god we as we keep saying every week you know one of the good things about the trump administration is they seem to be so disorganized in some ways and they're they're not you know, executing necessarily all the time. But I think, you know, weeks like this are, are a reminder that you have some, you know, pretty toxic people uh, in charge of our government. And, you know, it, it, you kind of have America's already a powder keg. There's already all these problems that we've discussed in America. I mean, America is an awful racial history. It's a country that was founded on slavery and the genocide of Native Americans. So we have all that in our, in our history, but you have, you know, that those buttons are being pushed, By people in power. And I think that there's also this mythology that Americans have around the president as somebody who's going to look out for us. You know, the American president is on our side always. And, you know, there's been this like grieving period for the fact that that's not the case with Donald Trump. And I think that, uh, you know, it's it's kind of bullshit. Like, why do you think that about the president if you really you know, have an honest look at history. You shouldn't think that about the president, but, you know, that's just kind of the perspective of most people. Um, Yeah.
1: It almost seems like, you know, it's part of the holdover of the hagiography of past presidents. Right. But like they expect Trump to be this moral force, this moral, um, I'm sorry, this morally uh, positive leader in the face of such a national tragedy as some people might see it. I see it as, you know, everyday America, but like people expected a lot more from him. And I'm wondering why they expected a lot more from him because we knew he was capable of this. We knew he'd, he had been stoking white nationalists since day one of his campaign. So, so like, the fact that the media is hand-wringing about him not having, like, an adequate response to this or having the opposite of an adequate response for this is actually, frankly, fascinating to me.
0: So, guys, let's go ahead and jump to the other side of the equation. Uh, after the protest in Charlottesville, after the, uh, the loss of one... Uh, protesters' life and, and and countless injuries. I believe a few arrests um, and an ongoing kind of media firestorm and and crisis around this kind of happening in in, in the backyard of what should have been a fairly civil uh, uh, protest. Let's talk about the response because it was to say the word lacking is the greatest understatement in history. So Donald Trump obviously gave a A um, statement, uh, an oppressor in the wake of the events in Charlottesville. And he took the position of saying that both sides, and in this case, he's referring to the alt-right and also everyone who was protesting them and, and trying to come out against the alt-right, um, both sides exhibited great hate and violence and tried to kind of push this off as, you know, yes, there's problems, but it's not inherently one group or the other uh, and and pretty much took a somewhat of a non-position on this. Um, the the outcry from pretty much the entire rest of the world has been swift and, and very uh, decisive to say that, you know, he has abdicated the moral leadership of this country. Um, and so we, we find ourselves now somewhat adrift.
2: I mean, we've been adrift, as, as you know, we know, like, you know, th- just to reiterate, like this Nazi rally, this Nazi white supremacist rally knocked a nuclear crisis with North Korea out of the headlines which knocked, you know, Russia subpoenas. Uh, And by the way, you know, Stormfront, you know, the the Nazi white supremacist website, um, wrote a terrible article about the woman who was murdered. And then we're... Uh, Godaddy, their hosting service, told them that they had to leave um, within 24 hours. So they'll be returning to the internet with a .dot r u s domain from Russia, Um, which you know, unbelievable
1: or totally believable.
2: Yeah, I mean, totally believable. Exactly. I mean, this unbelievable and totally believable, which is you know, that's the world we're in. Um, Like we we've we've been adrift for a while. I'd say you know even you know, and the reason why Trump was able to rise to power is because we were adrift. You know, we had if you look at the approval ratings of Congress, approval ratings of both political parties, you know, people not trusting the press before Trump, uh, people not trusting institutions. And there's all sorts of good reasons for some of that. But you know, we were open to this sort of thing.
1: Honestly, the moral equivocating just feels like a part of a long trend and and this is just like the horrible culmination of it politicians have always equivocated about race and racial politics and racial justice and lack thereof like and, and it's a long standing conservative tradition to blame the people who espouse or fight for tolerance for being intolerant toward intolerant people you know the the so called par- the paradox of tolerance if you will. And so this is, this, I mean, It was completely expected that he would come out there and equivocate. I mean, I am pleasantly surprised that the reaction was swift and terrible, but this is shit that Republicans have also done, just not for neo-Nazis. Democrats have done it too. Well,
0: certainly there are parallels, but we also do need to take stock at the fact that at the uniqueness of the situation, because while the equivocation has been a trend, especially in the Republican talking points and narrative for quite some time, this level of bold abdication of of moral uh, anything any substance any leadership any position this kind of... You know, leave you to the winds type approach is somewhat original to oh, Donald yeah, Trump, totally. and the response. I mean, the response can be felt in the room almost immediately when he gave the the first uh, statement, and then he came back two days later to reaffirm that statement. Uh, you can see, uh, you know, his chief of staff, uh, General Kelly, has like this disgusted. I mean, the man looks like he's about to vomit on the floor. He's like, he's got his arms crossed, he's got his head down, he's just looks completely disheveled because this is apparently. Um, As we later found out from aides and from internal reporting, uh, this was very much Trump kind of going off uh, on a tangent and pretty much just saying whatever he was thinking at the time. And it caught a lot of people off guard, Um, wrongfully so, as this is basically this is exactly who we should have known Donald Trump to be. But it it did actually catch a lot of people off guard, including White House staff. So this is um, this is not completely outside the realm of the uh, the rights operating procedure, but it's. It is a, a deep and f- Far fetched to the extreme of how they typically approach these situations.
2: Well, there's there's one way there's two ways to read it, right? There's one way to read it as you know Donald Trump is off script. You know he didn't do what they discussed. The other way to read it is you know at the beginning of the press conference he's asked about Steve Bannon, and there's there's been a lot in the news with uh, Rupert Murdoch you know going on the record saying that Steve Bannon should be fired, uh, and Trump's asked about Bannon in the in the context of essentially the the subtext. Of the question is, are you going to fire Steve Bannon? Um, and Trump, you know, digs into him a little bit. He says, you know, I know I like Steve, but he came very late. Uh, but then at the end of his statement, Trump says, you know, we're, we'll see how Steve Bannon will do. Uh, so one way to read that is that, you know, we'll see he might get fired. But another way to read it is let's give him some run here. You know, um, let's do listen to Steve a little more. And I think, you know, if you look at the way he responded to this press conference, um, what you had mentioned, Anu, which is a typical trope of, you know, accusing um those fighting for tolerance of being intolerant themselves. And, um, you know, it, it's all classic Steve Bannon. Um, so maybe and this is a calculated thing, you know, w- whether it's going Trump going back to his inner racism or it's doing anything to try to distract people and solidify his base, right? Because if he knows that a Russian, if he knows that a, a Robert Mueller indictment is coming down, the scary part about what's happening in America right now is the only defense against that for him if he wanted to do everything he could to maintain power, would to be have people that would go out in the street um, and cause uh, trouble, you know, if they tried to remove them Um, and, you know, this kind of doubling down and this, you know, uh, consolidation of the base, which is a disgusting way to say, you know, what what's happening here. You know, he, he does have every incentive to do it if we're in a world where we think that indictment's coming down, um, which is a scary thought. Well, let's back up for a second
3: here. Like, because uh, uh, I think we're reading a lot into Trump, but there's there's a pretty steady pattern, and, and I think you could see it starting around Friday. Um, first, he just doesn't notice. Like, it's not on Fox News. It's not in his particular universe of right-wing crazy Which probably honestly doesn't include like this unite the right garbage. So he just like ignores it and then he feels fairly blindsided when like someone comes up is like, oh, Mr. Trump, people are yelling at you. I I think we got to make the statement. Like, I don't know who, who has to give them this bad news or whatever the fuck. And then he's irritated. He's like, why do I have to deal with this shit? I'm the president. So then he kind of makes this half ass thing. It's like when he – like the David Duke. I mean it's not – he doesn't only do this with, with white supremacists. He, he does it when he just doesn't want to deal with something, not just like not say something. He just like, I I just don't yeah, want this on my plate.
2: He has a pattern uh, with white supremacists, uh, and,
3: you know, not –
2: right, well, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean – What's the pattern
3: with Right, and that's that's my point. Is like this is one of his huge blind spots. He doesn't think this is important. I mean, he's functioning as kind of like this huge id for Republicans. They just don't even notice it at first. And I think that's more that's perhaps even more interesting than his eventual racist explosion a couple of days ago. Is that the this started this initially started to happen just because he didn't even pay attention to this? It was just like, well, what what Charlottesville? Where the fuck is Charlottesville? What what is going on here?
1: Also, why. And, the- why the fuck do I care that my supporters are marching with Tiki Torches?
3: I mean, yeah, actually, though, the about he does the, know the tiki the tiki where Charlottesville is statement. because...
2: Um, you know, we had the, the company that makes Tiki, tiki Torches had to come out and disassociate themselves from, from neo-Nazis and white supremacists. Of course.
0: Um, that's what we're wearing. Well, and during his original statement, Trump actually made sure to let us know that he does know where Charlottesville is because he pointed out that he owns a winery there. Oh, for the and he claimed that it was the largest winery in the country, which is a completely false and, and demonstrably so, in fact. But he did feel the need while attempting to denounce Nazis, which he failed to do. He did need, feel the need to remind us that he's aware of Charlottesville yeah, because monetize, he owns a winery. You gotta there. Be, always be monetizing. That's what uh, that's what Trump Trump's doing
1: he has been the it like to go back to your point about will about the being the it of the Republican Party like right now they're freaking out because he has finally cast off any veneer that the Republicans could hide behind of being not racist. like now the leader of his part of their party has come out unwaveringly in defense of I mean, Waveringly, officially, but really unwaveringly in defense of the of neo-Nazis, because the alt-right and neo-Nazis have now been lumped together. Inconvenient, right? It's super inconvenient when shit gets lumped together. But but for our purposes and for the purposes of really the, the narrative around this, they're all in the same camp now. And, and this is, and, and now they're horrified that they can't, they can't fucking control it anymore.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think th- th- there is some of that within the established Republicans for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, we all, we also, I mean, Trump is the, Id and their poverty in a sense too that, you know, this is a guy that like legitimately gets his intelligence briefings from Fox and Friends. He loves cable TV. Um, you know, he's the typical Fox News viewer. You know, he's the rich guy who watches Fox News and, you know, gets all worked up and is a product of a conservative propaganda machine, which has been a while been building for a long time. You know, as I said at the beginning of the episode about sort of this long-standing haphazard building of American fascism, you have you have the conservative think tanks, you have, um, you know, all the different groups. Um, yeah.
0: So I'm glad you, you brought that up, Max, because I think that's really one of the more fascinating things to come of uh, the, all these developments, both between the administration and also um, out of Charlottesville itself. One of the the more unique uh, components of this compared to um, past events of a similar ilk uh, is the, how poorly the media has been able to respond to this and how blindsided they've been by it. And I don't just mean you know, I don't just mean the bleeding hearts over at MSNBC. I mean, uh, Fox News had multiple uh, pundit uh, panels where they were trying to go around the room and, and try to play to their normal conservative um, uh Party lines and talk about the heritage of the statues and fucking blah blah blah. And in in both instances, it, the the conversation quickly turned around back to Donald Trump's moral failing um, in denouncing the alt right groups and and in fact the um, the uh, pundits themselves and the commentators and the host were failing to direct the conversation in a way that cast this in any light other than an absolute abomination. Uh, Fox and Friends, which is this tells you just how fucking insane this is. Fox and Friends actually agreed um, that Donald Trump had come up short from a moral standpoint um, in his response to the events in Charlottesville. And for the record, Fox and Friends is pretty much just Donald Trump's direct friends on cable. There, so there was when- like
1: a show. I think it was Shepard Smith who couldn't even. They could. They they couldn't find a single yeah, yeah, yeah. Republican to come on this show and to defend Trump's remarks. And then and then there was just one one last thing. There was another segment where a host was trying to get them to talk about the monuments and her two panelists black man and black women they were like there were tears there they were just like crying and she had no idea what to do because she was trying to get them to talk about fucking confederate history and they're like obviously personally like shaken up and she doesn't yeah, and i think what's
2: interesting too is you have that on fox right um which tracks with the fact that in the new york Times. Couple the day before, actually, it was reported that um, that Murdoch asked for Steve Bannon to be fired. Um, So you have Fox to take this reaction to it, and then Breitbart, on the other hand, has um, you know fawning headlines of Donald Trump for how he responded. Um, And not only that, but there's an article that's on Breitbart that was essentially had to be ghostwritten by Steve Bannon or. Something, you know, talking about the globalists in the administration trying to throw him off and, um, you know, taking, you know, subtweeting Fox News. Uh, So that's something to watch, I think. You know, Fox is sort of the more establishment, um, you know, conservative media in a sense. They've been around for a lot longer. But you have Breitbart, which got a huge cash infusion a few years ago and is practicing this alt-right, white nationalist brand of politics, not only in America, but in England and in other places around the world. Um, this is sort of a, this could be a real standoff. And I think it'll be interesting to see um, as will Will, you mentioned earlier the splintering of the Republican world, so to speak. You know, you could have a, sort of an open war here. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of see, it will be interesting for me. Uh, I'm, I'll be waiting to see whether this is something that continues or something that's worked out behind the scenes. And if it does continue, um, what's the fallout from
0: that? Well, there's certainly some conflict going on here in particular with Bannon, who kind of represents the alt-right, um, He's kind of the alt right's representation within the Trump administration, um, because while Trump himself is is you know gives a shit about no one and is pretty much anyone's ally who will throw him some praise, his his personal ideology is not that of the alt right. He could Trump him, Trump could not give two shits. He wants to fucking shake hands with famous people and walk around the uh, the White House and and you know snort coke with Scaramucci like that's his agenda. So the the actual alt right's kind of poster child within the administration 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 is Bannon. Um, and, and some of the most recent news um, as of like last night was obviously that Bannon dialed up a progressive reporter so that he could go on this like tirade about China and about um, how there's no military solution in North Korea. It's it's, it's a baffling piece of uh, journalism. I highly recommend that anyone who hasn't read it yet uh, does so because it's like Steve Bannon trying to like shoot the shit with this guy. And the topics are, are wide and varied, but it really comes across like Bannon is is attempting to walk back his extremes um, due to the amount of people currently calling for his ouster um, from the administration. Um, so you can see that there's definitely you know between the, the 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 different barbs being traded between Fox News and Breitbart. There's definitely also some internal conflict in how uh, Steve and the alt right are fitting into the broader administration. That
1: brings us to the question I think about. Um like where the alt-right is going to continue to fit here like what are all of your thoughts on this like do, do we try to do we see anyone try to jettison them or are we just like do you think that the status quo remains
3: well you have the uh the the ceos that were uh the the two councils and whatever the hell uh, it's unclear what they actually did i, I don't even know what
1: they nothing did. they did nothing
3: like not- Those
0: councils existed so that Donald Trump could say, "Look at all the CEOs yeah. I have on my councils." Literally, um, which is why when they began resigning, he said, "Fuck this! I'm I'm,
3: I'm ending both You're councils." You're Yeah, I'm fuck you. I'm just going home. Way. Basically, and even the in. End- I promised you would build an infrastructure <laughs> council, no, and now we don't. Well, I'm not even going to do that. So apparently infrastructure week is
1: uh Infrastru- great success. I didn't like, even know any of these weeks were happening. We find out after the fact that it was like XYZ I mean, week. Yeah, and during the press like,
2: conference. He's like, any infrastructure questions? Any infrastructure questions?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> Has an infrastructure week been going on for like <laughs> seven like- weeks? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Infrastructure <laughs> week started like weeks ago.
0: Oh god. And this is but this but this really this is this is the Donald Trump administration though, right? Is it's like it's putting fancy labels on I mean that's the thing, that's, that's all this guy knows how to do is fucking stamp his name on shit and come up with fancy names for stuff. So that's what he does. He picks a week and he's like, Well this week's gonna be infrastructure week in like a week or two, it'll be like it's sushi week, all week at the White yeah, House, so- we're serving sushi.
1: But do we think that he's gonna like do we think he's going to finally realize that the I mean, alt-right is a liability? I don't
2: think he fires Bannon. Happen? I think the, the the political fallout of firing Bannon, I think, would be huge. I think potentially Bannon could be talked to behind the scenes and, you know, incentivized to leave. And, and I think you can make the argument he could, you know, do better for himself by doing that. Um, but I think, you know, right now we're obviously seeing that he doesn't want to because you're seeing you're seeing like an open war on multiple fronts, right? You have like Breitbart going after H.R. McMaster, um, you know, Bannon calling up a liberal, uh, the American spectator, you know, and talking about how he's putting, you know, trying to replace national security staff in South- Southeast Asia. So you have this sort of kind of open war for control with the, by the two different factions in the administration. And, you know, both those factions are backed by very powerful interests um, and, you know, are both you know, could be argued were part of the rise of Donald Trump. So it, it,
3: I, I don't know how it's going to play out. I mean, what, what do people think?
1: Like, Do we uh, think honestly, the billionaires are going to have an effect on that?
3: I mean, honestly, I don't think at this point it's ideological or even managerial. I think his problem is logistical. I don't <laughs> think he can afford point. to fire any more people like he hasn't. Yeah. Brought I mean, do, any we do have an like, ideology
2: going on. You know, in the newspaper well, every
3: day now. Sure, but like, 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 even like Kelly, he had to pull Kelly out of Homeland Security, and God, <laughs> yeah, no, got, no I, big deal. No one's the yeah. Secretary <laughs> he's of Homeland Security.
1: His staff. <laughs>
3: No big deal, and, and like he, his pool keeps shrinking. I, like I don't think he has a choice anymore. He just needs people and this there. This is to dangerous,
1: though. The fact that the government is not staffed is really dangerous, and that oh yeah, leads us—it's us, insane, it's it's insane. and it leads us that much closer to. I mean, I don't. I'm kind of exaggerating here, I know, but it leads well, I mean, us Steve that Bannon much closer to being about like the technically destruction a destruction of the administrative
2: state. state, right? And a part of that is just not staffing these positions. You you allow it to atrophy, yeah. Um, you know the system. Yep. The system, if it's not operating like that, yep. it kind of grows around it, and you get bad
3: habits. And
1: yep, consolidation of control is that—that's what you do. But, I mean,
3: I guess that's a clever set. thing, but. I mean, again, I've said this before, but the thing about bureaucracies is they're very good at sustaining themselves yeah. even prior to their, their core functions. And what he's doing now is just destroying the executive branch. It's like the, the, nothing's happening to the to the, to the executive – to the bureaucracy of the, of the federal yeah. government. They're just learning to survive without having it, any it guidance or direction, which is frankly more frightening than anything else.
0: Well, here's the thing. He's not going to get rid of Bannon because he needs Bannon. Because the thing is, Donald Trump's back right now is mostly to the wall. Um, the, the Republicans came out uh, in force against his his uh, statement regarding Charlottesville. Um, they are fed up with—I mean, he's picking open fights with Mitch McConnell right now. He has no friends within the party, uh, and he has obviously no friends across the aisle either. So the thing is, if he is looking um, at how he consolidates and preserves himself and his administration, Administration, He needs any ally he can get. And if there's one thing we know historically about Donald Trump, it's that he is more than happy to shack up with anyone who will basically uh, go to bat for him, including, you know, uh, shady business deals, shady real estate, uh, you know, Jared Kushner's dad, uh, Chinese investors. How about Vladimir Putin, Russia, etc.? So if it looks to him like things are like the walls are closing in and uh, the alt-right and Steve Bannon, are kind of have his back and are willing to basically be advocates on his behalf uh then donald trump has no scruples That's about true. going completely down that path to maintain his position He
1: retreats to the people who are loyal to him so that actually makes complete sense Yeah, he would I mean, double it, down it's, it's the on political move
2: the too right because you have to it, it, the the world that he's actually been setting up uh in his own you know kind of bumbling way but by by consistently saying fake news um by consistently, you know, telling telling his reporters telling his supporters that, like, you know, <laughs> what you're seeing isn't what you're seeing and, and them, them, them kind of believing it and then continuing to use this white identity grievance politics. You know, you're setting yourself up for the moment when the indictment comes down or for when members of your own party start to turn on you. Uh, And then you've already set in motion the narrative that, that, you know, they're part of fake news or those Republicans are part of the establishment. So, you you know, a lot of this is setting up permission structures for, I think, the world that's going to come once once these indictments start coming down or, um, you know, the the Mueller investigation proceeds and you, you have to think that. People in the administration are thinking about that. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like much is happening strategically either, but
0: I do. You know, the, the last thing I want to touch on, obviously, because there is so very much um, and obviously we don't have time to cover it all. But is the fact that the I think one of the big shocks for A lot of people, and it shouldn't be a shock, but it, you know, it, they, they obviously all had to come out and express their oohs and ahs to the idea that, you know, how can this possibly be happening? Is exactly who the alt right is. You know, we got, we really got to look this group in the face um, here in Charlottesville. And I think there was a lot of people who were picturing, um, an and, ex- you know, a militia of some kind, some ragtag group of, you know, of doomsday preppers, uh, out in, out in the Dakota. You know, uh, people fighting, you know, sovereign citizens and shit like that. And I think that the image coming out of Charlottesville, um, the many images, in fact, were a little bit alarming for people who maybe had been living in a bit of a bubble because the uh, the images that we saw were uh, younger white people, mostly male. Uh, They were dressed, you know, in there was pictures of them in in button down shirts and polos and, and, you know, dockers. Yeah, khaki shorts and shit. And in the wake of, of the actual protest, and obviously uh, one one activist on the uh, on the opposition side actually being killed by a member of the alt right, um, and many being injured. Um, you know, I think one thing that's telling though is that we had people who started to dox them, who actually started to look up who these alt right fucks were, and to basically go ahead and start calling them out, and sent you know figure out who what their real names were, where they lived, what they did. And there's obviously some mixed opinions about whether that's right or wrong. But what's so interesting is that these are people who are willing to uh, protest actively um, and spew hate and spew um, you know just this terrible platform. But but they are terrified of being identified for that. And I think that's incredibly telling of just how deep this permeates our society, that we have people who are more than happy to pick up a tiki torch and storm Charlottesville uh, to defend a Confederate statue. But by God, do not let anyone yeah. know that it was me who was They'll doing cry. it. Such okay, a, so there was such a guy in
1: the Vice so, documentary. So I don't know if you guys saw that episode of Vice where – Oh my god, that was an amazing episode. And I don't watch Vice usually, so there's this there's the neo-Nazi. I'm not even gonna whatever. His name was Christopher Cantwell. Regardless, they gave him you know he was kind of the feature of the documentary almost, and and it's it's very clear like him, and there have been several other cases of people who, after being publicly exposed, have like cried like. P- that the Peter dude from the University of Nevada Reno, like like claimed he wasn't at the ra- the screaming racist you see in the picture. This Christopher Cantwell guy actually cried in a video after like Facebook and OK Cupid and all and like etc. Like th- several online services just banned him. And so like they're they can't they can't bear to be identified. Like they can't they can't handle it. Like they want to march well, without I think that's hugs, a really good point.
2: And and it also brings that, up that's you know we've talked about how America is a festering den of racism because it is, you know, <laughs> like there's so surprised that it oh it, it uh kind of bubbled up again. But also what happened here is we also, you know, as well as having sort of white supremacy baked into a lot of our national messaging, we also have anti Nazism as a core part of our national identity. You know, World War II, storming Normandy Beach, uh, you know, Nazi, Captain America, you know, would punch Nazis. So you you have that being stored up, um, you know, kind of Trump in that way has kind of walked into a hornet's nest in a sense. And I think that's why this is getting a lot more attention than um, a lot of the other uh, atrocities. You know, Trump Getting out there and saying it was okay for cops to beat people and all that stuff, you know, that I think this is getting attention because he's touching the you know third rail in American politics, which is Nazism. Like they're, you know, you have Godwin's law for God's sakes so, that you know if you if you mention Hitler first in the argument, you lose. Um, you know, it's such a it's so baked in, and and now we have oh, you know they're the arc. archetypical enemy in American society. And now you have a president who's morally equivocating them with, you know, a regular American citizen who got run over. And it's just it's
0: insane. And this this is coming up now. And I think, you know, it's it's as you said, Max, it's kind of baked into our society and it's always been there. But this really goes to show these these alt right types who are so afraid of being identified and, and quote unquote doxed and having their information put online. And that's true of the left as well. Uh, there's, you know, revolutions and change is difficult because it requires individuals to put their necks out there. Um, And what that means is that a lot of people harbor uh, opinions and positions that they don't always come right out and say because there's a level of etiquette. And there's, a, you know, there's you never talk about politics and religion in the U.S. And it's kind of a a little bit of a, a dated type thing, but it still exists today in a lot of circles. And so I think that this is something that's been, as you said, festering within our country for a long time. And I think that a lot of people, the media included, were shocked to find out that it was right in their backyard. And these were very average you know, Americans who held these beliefs and who were, you know, they came out and they marched and they and they spewed um, slogans and, and, and hate and and even got violent and, and aggressive out here in the streets. Um, and, and I think, you know, and what we, we learned was that our president, Frank, is one of those individuals as well um, but it's kind of always been playing out behind the scenes it's, it's no one wants to talk about racism in America or racial identities and things like that and now here we are it's it's finally come to the tipping point and what we're having to kind of fess up to is the fact that uh, it's it's not a fringe group in fact it is right here it's right on Main Street and it is a uh, an active and terrifying yeah I mean a point uh, I've heard made uh, this week group of individuals is, who know, are, are it, living after, right here among after us after the
2: Civil War you had a period of Reconstruction in the south where you had a lot of african-americans get elected to the senate and different government positions really have positions of power that lasted about 10 years um and then you had this huge reaction to that um you had like you know the north pulling out you had um you know kind of the restoral of a lot rest- rest- restoration of a lot of the same social conditions of slavery you know under slightly different configurations um and you know Tanahisi Coates, I think, was is writing an article, uh, you know, comparing those two things that that we've kind of we had eight years of Obama, and now we're we're having this um, reaction to it um, because of you know all the festering hatred in American politics because of the fact that we have people who are skillfully exploiting it, and then I think also because of the fact that we we were adrift anyway. Um, as a country w- where we have record low trust um, in institutions. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. But I think, you know, with that being a core fact of our reality, people are looking for alt something. You know, they're looking for an alternative explanation as to, you know, wh- why do I feel powerless? Why, why why am I not satisfied with my country? Um, and they're open to all sorts of crazy ideas. And then you can have, you know, sort of the slick marketing and kind of, you know, playing to people's um Racism, which is already there, you you, you have um, you can have really bad results because you know that's a form of populism which doesn't actually include making people's lives better, right? It's you, instead of um, you know trying to appeal to people's economic. Condition or their, you know, their, their spiritual condition or any of their condition, you're, you're appealing to their hatred of other groups or the, their feelings of superiority. Yes, yes exactly. That's a really also, good point. Tribal identity.
1: Explicit tribal identity, um,
2: and I think, yeah, we're, 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 we were open to that, and you know, Trump exploited it, and, and, and here we are.
1: I think that people are also, like, not quite aware that there is such a thing as tribal identity and that humans are, in fact, that base. I think that we, we especially we educated people, think that somehow, because we were educated, have moved beyond tribes. But no one really has. None of us have. Like, we haven't, uh, the four of us on this podcast. And, and as we were talking about in a recent episode, we were talking about the Democratic Party, like... It's <clears throat> we're not bringing people over to our side. It's not happening. It's an identity thing.
0: <laughs> I want to be the first <laughs> though to M- say that my I tribe it, is actually. called Quest.
3: Yes, can. can I kick it? Yes, I can I kick it. Can I kick it? Can I kick it?
1: Yes, can while yes, yes, I'm gone. Morning.
0: Can I kick it? To all the people who can quest like a tribe does. Before this, did you really know what I was? Comprehend to the track force Why? Cause getting mentions on the tip of the vibe buzz. Rock and roll to the beat of the funk fuzz. Wipe your feet
2: really. Come and spread your arms
0: if you really need a hug Afrocentric living gives a big shrug A life filled with, that's what I love A lower plateau is what we're above If you diss us, we won't even think of We'll nip up the dog and give a big shove This rhythm really fits like a snug glove Like a box of positives, it's a plus love As the trial flies high like a dove